Book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 17. Appreciate the prayers of each one this morning. Appreciate the prayers. One more time, if you know whose bow this is, come get it. If not, uh, we're going to let Miss Jan start wearing it. Book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 17. A question has been on my heart all week this morning is as we go into spiritual warfare whenever we leave or whenever we wake up in the morning. Our Sunday school lesson this week has been on, uh, this quarter is on spiritual warfare. We're two lessons deep and it's posing some very interesting questions. So if we're going to war, what are we taking with us? We're going to war each and every morning and, and uh, according to the lesson this morning, Brother Jacob Smith wrote the lesson and he said that the spiritual warfare that we go into each and every day is not a, a war that is won in a single battle. The Bible says that we must take up our cross daily. It's not saying that we can take up our cross today and we're good the rest of the week. It doesn't work that way. We have to make up our mind daily to crucify the flesh and to follow God. Not only that, we have to battle against things of this world. Principalities and power of the air. The Bible says to put on the armor of God so we're able to withstand the fiery darts of the devil. And so whenever we go into battle, what do we take with us? What do we go to war with? There's a lot of wonderful spiritual answers to this question. And today, I want to look at what David took to battle with him. Book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 17. We're going to begin in verse 32. Book of Samuel, chapter number 17, verse number 32. And David said unto Saul, Let no man's heart fail him. Excuse no, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us together this morning. God, we thank you for all the blessings of life that you've bestowed upon each and every one of us. God, I pray as we look into your word this morning, we could do so with open hearts, that we might be willing and able to understand, to receive what you'd have to say to us this morning through your word and through your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us all that we could take you in the battle with us each and every day, God, that we could submit our life unto you at all times, that we could live, that we could live a life that would be pleasing unto you. Lord, most of all, if there be one here among us this morning that's lost and unsaved, I pray that this could be the opportunity, God, that they would that they would take advantage of, that they would believe on Jesus Christ as their Savior. Receive him, God, be saved before it be everlasting too late. Be with those ask interest in our prayers. You know the needs of each one. Forgive us for we fail you. Thank you most of all for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. David showed up here to the battle, and, and I'm sure you can imagine. I used to play basketball, and whenever we would show up, we would look at the other team, and, and there are a lot of movies about it, and I'm sure each and every one here can relate. Whenever you show up, let's use basketball, for example, and you show up and you're short like me, and you walk up to the, to the, to, to the gym, and you walk in the door, and you look over there, and you got a point guard that's six seven. You got a shooting guard that's six nine. And you got two seven footers standing on the goal. What are you thinking in your head? Oh, it ain't good. This is gonna be a long night. Whenever you walk up to a, a baseball game and you see this picture, and you recognize this picture as, as Randy Johnson or Nolan Ryan or Roger Clemens or whoever it may be, and you recognize this person in that guy has a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. And you walk up to that, that, that plate, and you're sitting there in your mind, and, and you're thinking about that 100-mile-an-hour fastball. And all you can think about is, is what the other team has. 
you walk into a football team and, and you see like the, the movie Blindside, you see that big old dude named Michael Orr, six, seven, 400 pounds. You're thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be a long evening. This is going to be a long night. You already defeat yourself in your mind before you even get started. And, and that's what David should have felt like. That's what David should have felt like going into this battle. The entire army of Israel was sitting here staring at this guy. Just open mouths. They know who he is. The Bible says that he was a man of war from his youth. They know exactly who he is. It's like walking up to a bowling game. Here we go, using bowling. Y'all ready? You walk up to bowl with someone. And you're in your, last night I had on a, a pair of just regular pants, tennis shoes, button-up shirt, had a few stains on it. Same thing I'd wear any other day of the week. I walk up there to bowling, and all of a sudden, there's another guy standing next to me has on a bowling shirt. Has his number and name on the back of it. Has PGA bowling or whatever on the, on the pocket of it. And he has bowling pants, and he has shiny black bowling shoes. See, I rented mine. He didn't. He brought his. And I walk over there to the rack, and I pick me up an eight-pound ball that I just can barely get my fingers in. And he goes and he pulls him off a bag and he sets it down and he opens up and it's got a bowling ball with his name on it. <laughs> and he takes and he puts him a, a dryer right there on the seat that dries his hands so he don't get sweat on his hands. And that guy commits to st stretching. And, I, and I'm just sitting back here thinking, what have I got myself into? At that point, we're defeated before we even get started. That's the point Israel were at. Was that they saw this person who was a professional, a giant, a man who had someone bearing his shield walking in front of him. And they're sitting there wide-eyed at him. They didn't know what to do. A lot of times we can face battles in our life that are the same way. Yeah, I know you may have heard your parents say that they walked uphill to school in both directions in the snow. A lot of times life can seem like an uphill battle to us. A lot of times the, the, the things that we face can seem like an uphill battle and we don't have four-wheel drive. We're not going to make it up this hill. And a lot of times and me and my wife climbed Chimney Rock in, in North Carolina. And when I showed up, I'm looking up there. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking and I don't think the mountain's going to stop. It just goes up, 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 up. Just keeps on going. And we commenced to climbing. An hour later, out of breath, still climbing. Stairs and steps. It's bunches and bunches and bunches of steps. 990. Yeah, 990 steps straight up. And a couple hours later, we get to the top, right? It's beautiful. Oh, my goodness, it is gorgeous. But the elevator to bring you back down, quit working. 990 steps twice. And I know downhill may seem a little easier, but... Downhill ain't no easier when you're walking down steps. It's just not. And so whenever we got to the top of that mountain, I remember that journey, and oh, we had conquered Chimney Rock. But then we had to go all the way back down. And that mountain just got taller and taller the entire time. A lot of times our problems can look that way. They can just look bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it can snowball into something that we just think that we cannot absolutely handle. And you know what? We are defeated before we're started. We are oftentimes whooped before we get started. I got a table in my in my shed at the house. It used to be in my shop at school, and it's a heavy table. It's a lab table. That is two inches of polyurethane thick. And I had a big old football player play for me. I said, hey, I want y'all to go move that table. And he went over there, and he went to bow up on it, and he, ugh, he couldn't move it. He didn't even pick it up off the ground. 
You know, the mother boys didn't even try to pick it up. Nobody else attempted to pick it up after he failed. Because they figured if the strongest boy in here can't pick it up, there's no use in me trying. A lot of times we look at our battles in life that way. If, if so-and-so can't reach him, can't teach him about Jesus, can't draw him to Jesus, can't invite him to church, then how am I going to be able to? If so-and-so can't overcome this trial, if the deacon in the church is struggling with this, then how, can I, how, how, am I, how in the world am I ever going to overcome it? There are a lot of things in this life that we struggle with that other people never know anything about. A lot. A lot of people struggle with things and a lot of times it's, it's always up in their head. They, they struggle with things that, that never comes into the light or, or leaves beyond family. But God sees it all. Not only that, God tells you that He will help you with it all. The first verse that we read here, David said unto Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Whenever we start thinking, well, I'm by myself, I'm on my own, Israel said, well, if one man has to go and fight him, one man is surely going to die. Whenever we get to the point that we're thinking that it is one person we are already defeated. Because without God, we can't win. Without him, we can't. Whenever we're trying to witness to others, whenever we're trying to, to invite others to church, whenever we're trying to overcome a personal trial or whatever it may be in our life, overcome a, a, a sin that we talked about this morning, this is spiritual warfare. Whenever we're struggling with an addiction of some sort, so struggling with making it to church, Sunday school, fellowshipping with others, reading our Bible, praying, whatever it is that it may be, it may seem like a mountain. But God is in the business of squishing mountains. God is in the business of picking us up and putting us up on the top of that mountain. But the problem is it does not come without effort, ever. It never comes without effort. Not only that, it never at any point in time comes without faith. The armies of Israel told David there's no way. Saul said there's no way. Verse 33, Saul said unto David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. Thou art a youth. And he is a man of war from his youth. He said, David, you can't do it. The whole world will tell you that you cannot be a good Christian because of what is in your past. That is a lie. The whole world will tell you that you cannot be a witness for God because of what you have done. That is a lie. The whole world will tell you because you, you have too much time for this and you have too much time for that and you have done this and you have done that. There is no way you can be a blessing to others. That is a lie. The world will tell you that you cannot win and God tells you that with me, we always win. The world will tell you the problem is too big. The giant is too tall. You are too weak. The Bible does not say that David had very many muscles on him. I don't think he was skin and bones, but I don't believe that David was a he-man. I just, I just don't picture him like that. The Bible, the Bible here says that David said, don't let a man's heart fail. Because of him. Don't lose the battle because it's all up in your head. Jesus said what? Take my yoke upon you. Cast your cares on me. He said give it all to me. He didn't say try to handle it on your own. We were moving something rather a while back. I think it was a desk of some sort. It wasn't heavy. It may have weighed 50 pounds. I can reach down with one hand and pick up 50 pounds. The buckets that we weighed up here for Bible school was more than 50 pounds. 50 pounds isn't heavy. But whenever you have a desk that is four or five feet long and you can't really get your arms all the way around it, 
It becomes awkward to carry. It's not that I could not do it. It's not that I could not lift that kind of weight. It's that I could not get my arms all the way around it. It's that the problem was too much for one person for me to handle. Every problem that we face in life is too much for one person to handle. But God plus one equals a majority every time. God plus you equals a majority every time. Verse number 34, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. And thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord has delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. David said, God has prepared me for this. The Bible talks about the trials of our faith being a good thing. But God don't throw us into the fire without first preparing us to go there. God didn't send David to fight this giant without first preparing him. Not only physically, not only mentally, but spiritually. You know, it is impossible to fight a spiritual battle if we don't have faith. It is 100% impossible to fight. I'm, I'm sorry. It's impossible to win. We can fight a losing battle all day. It is impossible to win a spiritual battle unless we have faith. And that person who we have faith in is the one who will lead us through. David said that, that he took the lion and the bear, took a lamb. I'm not sure I could whoop a lion. I'm not sure I could. I'm almost certain I can't whoop a bear. Not without a gun. David said he caught him by the beard and slew him. I don't know what kind of weapon David may have had. I don't know if he may have put him in a chokehold. I can imagine him chokeholding a bear and, and putting him down. Imagine he had some kind of knife or of some sort. But David killed a lion and a bear, both of which he should have been outmatched for. Neither of which he should have ever been able to do, but he did. Why? Was it because he was just that good? No. Because God took care of him and blessed him and told him, I got you. Yeah. What do you take into this world to fight your battles? Saul here tries to put his armor on David. And Saul armed David, verse number 38, with his armor and put a helmet of brass upon his head and armed him with a coat of mail. Anybody ever wore a mail coat before? It's M-A-I-L, mail, chain mail. They weigh like 40 pounds. It's made up of these little bitty just hooks and loops and so that spears and swords and whatever else may not penetrate it quite as easy. They weigh a lot. He put a helmet of brass on his head. Anybody ever held anything that had any weight? Brass, hammers, tools. Brass is heavy. It's not a joke. Whenever we start talking about this kind of weight on David, you talk about heavy. Goodness gracious. It said that David ran towards Saul. I can imagine Saul, uh, excuse me, Goliath, I can imagine Goliath being up on top of a hill. And if David had to run all the way up that hill with all this weight on him, he'd have been wore out before we got there. The world will try to give us tools to beat whatever it is that we're facing. But we don't need the tools of the world. They weigh us down. They give us false hope. They give us things that, that we don't need. The, the world tries to prepare us, but God has already done it. Saul tried to arm David. But David said, I, I've done whooped a lion and a bear. God has prepared me 
for this moment. Verse number 39, David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these. I have not proved them. And David put them off him. The world will try to give us things to help us with whatever it is we're facing. But, but bear in mind, it is things of this world. And the things of this world cannot fight our spiritual battle for us. It cannot protect us from the fiery darts of the devil. It, it cannot give us the same help that God gives us. It can't give us the same hope that God gives us. It can't give us the same amount of encouragement. It cannot protect us the way that God can. And yet, too many times, we put more faith in a seatbelt than we do in God. I wear my seatbelt, but I pray and ask God to protect me on the road. I put my faith in God. Whenever we begin to fight these worldly battles, whenever we begin to fight these spiritual battles, what do we take with us? Do we take the things of God or we allow ourselves to be weighed down with the things of this world? If David would have left all this stuff on him, I think he'd have created more problems than he would have solved. He'd have been weighed down going up the hill. That helmet probably wasn't made for his head. It said that it was Saul's armor. So the helmet probably would have chafed him a little bit. The coat of mail would have really hurt his shoulders. He'd have ended up with problems for the rest of his life. But God didn't tell him to prepare yourself. God said, I have prepared you. David put them off. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script, and a sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. He took the things that he had proved. He took the things that he had been provided. He had took the things that God told him, I got you. He took a stick, a rock, and a sling. That's what he took with him. A stick, five rocks, and a sling. There's a lot of speculations on why the five rocks. I'm not going to get into that. But he took what we would consider primitive weapons. It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. He brought a knife to a gunfight. He brought a rock to a sword fight. He brought a rock to a fight where, if you can imagine, anybody ever played laser tag before? Love laser tag. It's a lot of fun. I'm terrible at it, but I love it. So in laser tag, you got these vests, and they got these little dots. They, they got them on your front, and they got them on your back, and the ones we played had them right here on your side. So you could get shot in the chest, in the back, or on either side of you. But if you took and you covered up those spots, so if somebody was standing in front of you, you covered it up with your hands, then they couldn't shoot you. They could sit there and shoot all they wanted. They weren't going to hit you. Saul was covered up all over his body with armor. He had armor down his legs on his feet he had a man standing in front of him carrying his shield no doubt he had a helmet on he probably had his coat of mail on our problems are going to be hard to deal with because our problems are bigger than we are our issues the things that we come up against the temptations the hindrances in this life they're going to be bigger than we are almost every time they're going to be hard to deal with. They're going to be hard to overcome. They're going to be hard to face, period. I hear a whole bunch. I've never been to an AA meeting, but a lot of folks says the first step is admitting you got a problem. I've had a lot of problems. <laughs> that is the first step. 
The first step in fixing a problem is admitting that you have a problem. I was building a shed one time and daddy said, make sure you get it square. Not a problem. I'm thinking, well, all it is is four posts and we're going to put a roof on top of it, right? Ain't got to worry about squaring up the posts as long as I build a square roof. Shed's still crooked. I never admitted that I had a problem. I got to finish building that shed and I looked down the back of that roof line and that tin was going this way and that wood was going this way. It never did match up. It took me forever and I finally got a square roof put on an unsquare building and it looks all jacked up to this day. I would not admit that I had a problem. I didn't like to square things. I didn't like to take my time. I didn't like to do it right the first time. I was more the kind that, you know, would do it three or four times and eventually get it right. Rather than taking my time and doing it right the first time. We can run from God like Jonah did. We can refuse to acknowledge God and, and we can even lie and tell ourselves that, that we got this. We can put on the armor of the world. We can put on our own armor. We can try to fix it our own self, but I, without the help of God, we will never overcome it. Without the help of God, we cannot conquer the things that we cannot master. We have to use what God has given us. Jump down, if you would, to verse number 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and fair of countenance. This makes me believe that David wasn't exactly a Hulk Hogan of people. He wasn't a size of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He was more like Kevin Hart standing next to him, you know. Short and maybe not the most muscular. The world will disdain us. The world will talk about us. Our problems will seem bigger than we are. But they ain't. What did God do? David ran toward him. He said, I don't come as you, come toward you as me. He said, I come toward you in the name of God, in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And that's how we fight our battles. David ran toward this battle that he was completely and totally outmatched far physically. I can see his brothers standing back and covering their eyes. I don't want to see it. Which one of y'all is going to tell daddy that David went and got himself killed? You can see him having that argument, can't you? There's no way in the world he could win this. But David had something that nobody else could see. David had God on his side. I'm not sure how good of a shot David was with that sling. I'm not sure how much he practiced. But whenever he said that he took that line and by the beard, that tells me that he probably didn't sling a rock at him. God took that rock and planted it in the forehead of that Philistine. God took and cured David's problem. God fought David's battle. David didn't say, Goliath, if I beat you, I'm going to cut your head off. He said, when? He said, it's coming. It's a guarantee. He had already won the battle before he started up this hill because he trusted in God to fight it for him. How many of us today face battles that we can't beat on our own? We all do. We all have something that we can't beat on our own. Whether it's addiction, neglect, grief, lack of motivation, lack of zeal toward God, lack of effort, work ethic, whatever it may be. 
the Lord will show us where we need to grow, but we have to overcome our spiritual battles before we can get there. We have to overcome the things in this world that is holding us back. What held back every other man in Israel from being able to go up there and, and whoop up on Goliath? What held them back? They were people just like David. Most certainly they were more talented fighting-wise than David. So what held everyone else back from going and doing it? Faith in God. David had it, they didn't. The man stood up there and defied the armies of Israel. Their problem got the best of them. This morning there are a lot of people, probably even some in this church, that their problems are getting the best of them. There are a lot of people in this world that their problems are overcoming them or whooping them or are standing up there looking so big and mighty. But we serve a God that is greater. There's a song and, and it's kind of, a, I say a new song, it's probably two years old, but it's called Chain Breaker. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. God can solve our problems if we'll let him. God can take our problems if we'll let him. God will help us fight our battles if we'll let him, but we've got to have faith enough to put our trust in God. If you're facing something this morning, if you're fighting with something, if you're struggling with something, I urge you to trust in a God that's greater than that problem. I encourage you to trust in a God that is able to overcome whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever it is you're fighting with, whatever it is is, is weighing on you. Don't trust in the world to fight that. Don't trust in the world to battle that. Trust in God. If you're here and unsaved this morning, you're fighting a battle that, that you can't win without God. It's not going to happen. If you're here and unsaved this morning, the battle you're fighting is with time. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your worst enemy is time. Because whenever it runs out, you lift your eyes in the devil's hell, there'll be no more time. There'll be no more second chances. There'll be no more, I believe in God now. It's too late. If you're here and unsaved this morning, if you'll have that kind of faith in God, if you'll believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll understand what it means to have weight lifted off of you. You'll understand what it means to truly have God fight your battles. You'll understand what it means to have faith in God like you've never had it before. All you got to do is believe. But when that time runs out, when it's over, it's over. When it's done, it's done. When the last ball goes into the gully. It's over. The game is done. There's no redos. There's no go-backs. Whenever the time stops for you, whenever you're taken out of this world, there's no more second chances. There's no, I'll trust in God later. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it the next day. I'll do it on my deathbed. There's none of that. When you go out of this world, it's heaven or hell. It's got Jesus or don't got Jesus. Is saved or lost. And I urge you this morning, if you lost and unsaved, if you hadn't believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, believe in Him today before it's everlasting too late. Oh, we have a verse for some. There are Bibles in the back of these pews. For those of you that didn't bring yours, we're going to be in the book of Exodus in chapter number 3. Book of Exodus in chapter number 3. Anybody ever seen a burning bush? For real? I burn bunches of brush piles. I've seen burning bushes all the time. The ones we see always burn up. 
In this particular instance, we're talking about a burning bush that does not quite burn up. Tonight, the, the thought I want to get across on our hearts is, is the fact that Moses was told that he was standing on holy ground. He was standing on sacred ground. He was standing in a place that was very special. And tonight, I want to get it on our hearts that in this inside this church house, we are standing on a place that is very special. Whenever we're talking about the Word of God, we are talking about something that is very special. We're talking about something that is important. We're talking about something that is life-saving, life-altering. And so it shouldn't be a, a book that collects dust. It shouldn't be something that we throw aside. It, it shouldn't be something that we color in and rip out pages. It, it shouldn't be something that we take for granted. It should be something that we cherish. And likewise, the, the, this church building should not be something that we take for granted. It shouldn't be something that we let uh, get dilapidated and, and fall apart and it shouldn't be something that we disrespect. We shouldn't carve our names into the church pews or, or scratch the walls in any way. It should be something that <clears throat> excuse me, we consider to be sacred. We consider to be holy. This building, the building next door, was dedicated to God. And so if that is in fact the case, then it is considered to be holy ground. Tonight we're going to read book of Exodus in chapter number 3. We're going to begin in verse number 1. Book of Exodus chapter number 3, verse number 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the backside of the desert, came upon the mountain of God, even the Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called from him, called unto him out of the midst of the bush. And said, Moses, Moses said, here am I. And he said, God talking here, God said, draw not nigh, hither. Put off thy shoes, off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. You tell me if that wasn't a sight that Moses got to see that day. Natalie sings a song up here and does a beautiful job at it. She sings a song, we are standing on holy ground. Whenever we walk into a church house, a place dedicated to God, we're standing on holy ground. Whenever we gather with church people, the Bible says that the church is not made up of this building. It is made up of God's people. Whenever we gather together with God's people, we're standing on holy ground. Whenever we come to a service, a Bible study, a fellowship, a, something that is dedicated to God, we're standing on holy ground. And that should be different, right? Why did Moses turn aside? It wasn't because the bush was on fire, because I've seen burning bushes before. Why did Moses turn aside? What caught his eye? What made it look funny? It wasn't consumed. So why is it weird that something catches on fire, if I lit a piece of paper on fire, and it, it sit there and you saw the fire, but the paper stayed there? Would that not be weird? Catch your eye. If you saw an elephant with butterflies' wings, would that not catch your eye? That would be weird. I've never seen one. You've seen one? You've seen one. If you saw an elephant that had big butterfly wings, that would catch your eye. That would cause you to turn aside. That would cause you to think. This is the same thing that Noah is seeing. Okay? Imagine a rhinoceros with 14 eyeballs. It's just something that's weird. Something that he's never seen before. Nothing that's something that he has never really mapped wrapped his mind around. Has anybody ever read the Dr. Seuss books? We read mainly the Dr. Seuss book. And my favorite one is one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. And Dr. Seuss had to be the most amazing creative mind to ever have written a book. Because of some of the names he come up with. Anybody ever heard of a suit? Me either. But Dr. Seuss has heard of a suit. And, and those things just, they, they make you stop and they make you think and they make you wonder because something is different about it. There's something different about church. 
There's something different about God's Word. It, it should make us stop. And, and I'm not saying we should take our shoes off whenever we come to church. My wife's smelling up the corner over here. That's all I can handle because she took her shoes off. We shouldn't take our shoes off whenever we come into church, but we should respect and reverence whenever we come to a place of God. We should respect and, and reverence the things of God. Why did Eli's sons get in so much trouble whenever they were priests? Why did they get in trouble? Anybody? Open any question. They ate the sacrifice. They ate the sacrifice. What else? I know some of you bend forward kids can get Why did Eli's sons get in trouble? They drank from the cups out of God's house. They used the things of the temple and, and they completely and totally misused them. They, they laid around and was lazy in the, in the door of the temple and did things they ought not to have done. They did not respect God's house at all. And, and what happened to them? God took their life. God told David to take the ark of the covenant and he said people to carry it, right? The Levites were to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And what happened whenever David put that Ark of the Covenant on wheels? They got going upon a back road, probably Luke Pace Road right here. They got going and they hit a bump. Somebody reached up there to steady. What happened to it? Healed him. Right there. He did not respect the things of God. And I'm not saying that running through the church house will cause God to take a life. I'm saying that we should have more respect for the things of God than to run through the church house. I'm not saying that jumping pews will cost us an arm, but jumping pews should not be something that crosses our mind. I'm not saying that they're scratching up the wall or peeling out in the church parking lot or leaving trash on an air conditioner should be something that we just are mortally afraid of. But when I was a kid, my, my mom put the fear of God in me. Because the church's house was something special. God's house was something special. And you didn't litter in God's house. And, and we didn't we didn't leave peppermint wrappers in the seats. We, we, we didn't throw trash around. We didn't allow trash to fall out of the back of our truck. And we were adding on the front porch to the church. And there was a guy there working with us. And, and he dipped skull. He had a spit bottle in his pocket. Every time he had to spit, he'd reach over and spit in that bottle. And everybody else was spitting on the ground. He said, I'm not going to spit on God's ground. He said, I'm not going to do it. This is God's house. This ground was dedicated to God. I'm not spitting on that ground. He said, I'll spit somewhere else. He reverenced, he feared, he had respect for that ground. God told Moses here, he said, take off your shoes. How important did that ground have to be for Moses to have to take off his shoes? It had to be something special. It had to be something different. Do we value the house of God today? Do we value it the way we should? Or, or is it just somewhere else that we come? Is it somewhere else that we play? Is it somewhere else that we show up to? Is it, is it just another, is it a weekend schoolhouse? Or is it truly the, the house of the living God? And I know the building is, is just a, a place that we come and meet, but the building itself and the grounds here are dedicated to John. Turn with me, if you would, to Joshua in chapter number 5. The book of Joshua in chapter number 5. The things that are dedicated to God are always considered holy. Joshua chapter number 5, verse number 14. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his faith of the earth and did worship and said unto him, 
What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe off thy foot, for the place where thou standest is holy. Another instance where we talk about a man of God getting directions, getting instructions from the word of God. And he said, Take off your shoes, for you're standing on holy ground. Turn over to the book of Psalms. In chapter 4, we're going to do a little bit of flip-flopping. I don't want you to chase me. I want to give you enough time to get there. Book of Psalm in chapter number 4. The things of God is something special. The things of God should be something that we something that we look at with respect. Think of the person that you've always respected in this life. Just a, a person. I always respected my grandpa, always respected my daddy, my mama, both my grandpas, both my grandmas. Also, had, I had a lot of respect for them. I had a lot of respect for men of God, for men in our church. And if we deface the house of God, that's like spitting on those people. That's disrespecting a person the same way we disrespect God. If we misuse the things of God. Psalms chapter number 4, verse number 4. The Bible says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed. And be still. Stand in awe of God. God is something to be, to, to be in awe about. We use the word also, excuse me, we use the word awesome all the time. Does anybody remember when LSU... Won a national championship, and uh, Matt Flynn was a quarterback. I know it was way back in the day, but that was when I became an LSU fan. He, he was sitting there, and, and he was the quarterback, but he was also the, the field goal kicker holder. He was sitting there holding that ball, and the guy come up to kick it, but instead of kicking it, Matt Flynn just threw it over his shoulder. He didn't even look. He threw it over his shoulder. The guy ran in the touchdown. They won. That's a beautiful game. It's awesome. But it wasn't really awesome. To be awesome has to be something that we put up on a pedestal so high that we are completely and totally in awe of it. You ever seen something so absolutely beautiful that you just said, that is awesome? We used to go fishing down at Man Shack, and I've seen a couple of sunrises and sunsets down there. They were absolutely beautiful, and they were awesome. But none of that compares to the awesomeness of God. And we say that was awesome, and, and I think uh, there were a couple of boys last night that, that bowled strikes over and over and over again. I only got one myself, two games. And it uh, turns out I'm a terrible bowler. But over and over and over again, it, it, was, it was awesome. It was wonderful. It was awesome. But the things of God are more awesome than the things of this world. Yet oftentimes we don't value them that way. We don't see. They, they said in the, the men's meeting, we were talking about carpet. They said this carpet's over 20 years old. It, they don't look it. This carpet looks great to be 20 years old carpet. I wish I had looked this good. But it's because it's took care of. It's because it's not abused. It's because people don't run four wheelers through here. If you did, it. Look a little worse, you pull a side-by-side -side or a, a Honda through here. But it's because it's taken care of. Do we take care of the things of God? I saw a man one time, I was in college. He was looking for a, a block to jack his trailer up on. He didn't have one. He reached there in the back seat of his truck. He pulled out his Bible, and he put it underneath that jack. He jacked the trailer up. He left it there. I said, hey, you don't need your Bible? He said, no, I don't use it. He had absolutely no respect for the Word of God. Don't get me wrong, this Bible is, I think it's real leather. I, I really don't know. It's supposed to be leather bound, 
book with paper in it. Very, very thin paper. With black and red writing. That's it. There's no blue in here. But that's all this book is. But what is written on these pages is the words from the living God. It is the living word of God. And it should be treated as such. Flip over to Psalm in chapter number 33. Psalm in chapter number 33. God is something that we should consider holy. Something that we should stand in awe in. Psalm 33 verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. How much do we fear the Lord? If we feared the Lord the way we should, we would take care of the things that are His. We would take care of His Bible. We would value His Bible. Do you understand that we are one of the most blessed countries in the world because we have more than one Bible? There are people everywhere in this world that, that would love to have access to a Bible all the time. There are people in this world that do not have a Bible printed in their native language. There are people in this world that has to stand up and listen to people read the Bible to them because they don't have their own. And yet they do. In the New Testament, man of God was standing up preaching. And he preached for so long that a guy fell out of the ceiling and broke his neck. And as terrible as that is, can you imagine sitting in a church house and, and it being so full that there are people sitting in the ceiling and the rafters and the service goes on so long that you're still sitting up there and you're sitting up there and you're sitting up there and there still aren't any seats open up down by them. Those are people that value the Word of God. Psalms in chapter 33, verse number 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Flip over to Psalm in chapter number 89. I know we're tired of flipping. We're going to get there in a minute. Psalm in chapter number 89, verse number 7, it says, God is greatly to be feared, and yet we leave trash laying around. I cut the grass. must have been Friday. Tucker helped me. He was weed-eating. I got me a little grabber on my lawnmower because I don't, I don't like to get up off the lawnmower. So I got me a little grabber. So as I'm going along and cutting, I, I reach down and I grab stuff with that grabber. I just throw it up there on the deck of the lawnmower. When I get finished, I'll take it to the trash can. Now, that absolutely blew my mind how much trash was on there. I cut here, and then I went down the road, and I cut it a couple of more yards, and it amazed me how much trash I was able to pick up. Not only in this church house, but, but another one. Why do, we, why do we let God's house get the trash? My mom used to be on me about making up my bed. To this day, I don't make up bed. I just, I'm going to sleep in it and mess it up again. I'm not going to do it. But when I lived in a dairy barn for four years, three years, I swept the floor. I didn't throw trash around because that's just messy. That means you have no respect for the place that you're living. That means you have no intention of trying to keep anything clean or at least presentable. And so whenever we're at home, if you get finished with your dinner plate, and you leave it laying on the table. Does mama get you? My mama used to get me. If you get finished with a piece of candy wrapper and the trash can's right over there, but you don't want to go over there and you threw it down on the ground, does mama get you? Is it wrong? Even if you don't get caught, is it wrong to throw trash on the ground? Yes. That's messy. Pick trash up and throw it in the trash can. The house of God is, is not a place to be Littered on. It's not a place to be mistreated. It's not a place to, to be lackadaisical about the things that we're supposed to take care of. 
He told Moses, you're just standing on my ground while I'm talking to you. Take your shoes off. What happened whenever Jesus showed up to the temple? A lot of people wear them WWJD braces. What does that mean, WWJD? Anybody but Brother Randy. He's answered all the questions so far. WWJD, what does that stand for? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Whenever you answer, whenever someone asks you that question, remember that chasing people out of a church with a whip is in the realm of possibilities. I've heard that very often. Jesus did. He run them out. He, he took and braided him a whip up real quick, and he run them out. Why did he run the people out of the, house, uh, out of the temple? Why did he run them out? What were they doing in there? What was they doing, Connor? They were selling stuff. They had turned his house into a place of business. I've always been told not to even work on Sundays. It's God's day. And I understand a lot of people, and the Bible says if, you, if your ox is in the ditch, then you get it out on Sunday. Sometimes you got to. There's a lot of power people, linemen out working today because of the storm. But whenever we choose to work on Sunday, then we're dishonoring God. Whenever we don't take care of his house, we're dishonoring God. Whenever we allow the things of God's house to be run down, but our house is always spick and span and beautiful and nice and got a new paint job and fresh cut grass and pretty driveway. And I mean, man, we take care of our house. But if we let God's house run down, then we're dishonoring God. God has given us the opportunity and the ability, and yet we do not stand in awe of him. Jesus run the people out of the temple because they were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. There's a lot of people that plays church today. Turn over to Leviticus in chapter number 19, then we're going to go back to Hebrews. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. There we go. Leviticus chapter number 19. There are a lot of people today that play church. Do you agree? What does it mean to play church? To answer that question, you've got to understand what it means to have church. What does it mean to have church? To come together as a body of Christ in what? In worship God. To read, to study. His Word. To gather together in spirit and in truth to receive what God would have to say to us through His Word, through His Holy Spirit that dwells within each and every saved person. To minister to those who are lost. Whenever we get to play in church, we get to be like the people in the temple. It becomes a business. There are churches today that are businesses. That's what they're there for. And it's run like a business. And I'm not saying that we should be completely and totally careless. But if we start running church like a business where quantity is more important than quality, then we lose that all that we should be standing in. We lose that awesomeness of God that we should see. Leviticus 19, verse number 30. Leviticus 19, verse number 30. You should keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Whenever you see something important going on, what do you do? You want to look at it. You want to pay attention to it. Is the Word of God not important? And yet all the time we want to not pay attention to it. When I was in church, Daddy would always put his arm behind us. We thought it was because he loved us so much. He kept us awake. Those were called brain dusters. It worked. We didn't go sleep in church. If we accidentally did, then we woke up and went outside behind the church. I got plenty of whoopings behind Forest Haven Baptist Church. You couldn't hear me scream through the wall either. Nobody in the church knew anything what was going on, but I was back there getting my butt whooped. Because I 
mistreated the sanctuary of God. You shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuaries. Flip over to Hebrews in chapter number 2. Book of Hebrews in chapter number 2. If we're going to reverence God's sanctuary, what, is, what does that entail? What does it mean to reverence the sanctuary of God? What does it mean to hold something in reverence? Somebody that you, you pay attention to, something that you take real good care of. Anybody ever had something that was really valuable that you really liked? A baseball card, a silver coin. For kids today, it's a cell phone. You don't want to drop it. You don't want to crack it. You want to keep a case on it. You want to take really, really good care of it. Well, that's the way we ought to feel about, about God. That's the way we ought to feel about the Word of God. Instead of worried about dropping and cracking a cell phone, are we worried about how much we open our Bible? At what age do kids learn how to read? Five, six, nine? I don't know. I don't remember what age I learned how to read. Six, seven, somewhere around there? As soon as we were old enough to be able to read, we read the Bible. We read Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer too, but we read the Bible. At no point in time should we stop. If we value God's Word, if we value God's teachings, then, then we should do what it says on the wall in most of our homes. Solomon said, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's something that sticks with us. How do you teach kids how to do something? How do you learn how to ride a bike, Connor? How do you learn to ride a bike? By practice. By practice. Cooper, what happens if you fall off a bike? You get back up. You get back up. It's simple. So how do you learn to worship God? You do it. How do you learn about God? You practice. How do you learn to pray? You practice. How do you learn to study? I had to practice that when I got to college. You know I didn't have to study in high school. Oh my goodness, pine was so easy back then. Except for Miss Susie. Oh my goodness, she was a hard teacher. But everybody else was easy. And I didn't have to study in high school. And I got to college and chemistry number one and calculus number one. And my goodness, I had to learn how to study. If we're going to get good at something, if we're going to value something, if we're going to treat the Word of God as reverent, then we're going to have to study. We're going to have to read. We're going to have to pay attention just a little bit. Hebrews in chapter number 2, verse number 20. Hebrews 2. Oh, my goodness. Hebrews 2 don't have 20. I must have wrote down the wrong chapter. Let's flip over, if you would, to John in chapter 2, and, and we'll close the book of John in chapter number 2. I wish that happened less often, but it is scary how often it does happen. Book of John in chapter number 2. Verse number 16, we read about the instance where Jesus drove them out. He said that you're treating my father's house wrong. You're doing things that you ought not do. And what does that include? Anything that does not bring honor to God. Anything that does not glorify God. Can we get up here and sing and dishonor God? Yes. We can get up here and sing and dishonor God. How do we do that? Why do we sing? Why do we sing? This is a singing church. Why do we sing? Praising the Lord. What happens whenever we get up here and sing? Because I want everybody to hear how good I sing. And I'm not praising God anymore. If I get up here and sing because I want people to know how good I am, I'm not praising God. There's a gospel singer, and I'm not going to call his name. He has an amazing voice. He has a talent for singing upbeat songs. But I can't listen to it. 
Because so much of his music is praising himself. So much of his live concerts is about me and it's about how funny I am and it's about how good I am and it's about how great I am. If it ever gets to the point that it's all about me, somebody knock me in the head. Because I ain't thinking straight. It's not about me. It's not. Singing and praising God and we had some beautiful music up here except for that one that me and Emily tried. Kids really helped us out on that one. We had some beautiful music up here tonight. And it's about God. It's to, it's to praise and to worship God. It's to give glory and honor to God. Whenever we start uh, reading the Bible and opening His Word and going back to discovery class and going back to Sunday school, it's all about God. That's all that it's about. And He told, he told the people here, Jesus said unto them, that sold doves, take these hence. Make not my Father's house a house of merchandise. Don't make it a business. Don't make it something that ought not be. Don't make it a, a playhouse. I grew up in a place that about the most that we ever did on, on the church ground, and it was you had to get outside doors. You didn't dare run in the church house. That was another trip out behind the church. But we'd play tag outside afterwards. And that was about it. We never had a Bible school. We had a few youth fellowships every now and then at other people's houses. There was a lot that was looked down upon. And this morning was mentioned that if it takes food to get somebody to church, I'll cook for them. If it takes a, a bouncy house to get kids to Bible school, we'll buy a bouncy house. But at no point in time should those things take precedent over the Word of God. At no point in time should eating become more important than the Word of God. I had a professor in college, and he was a wonderful man. He cooked for Thursday night Bible study on South Campus. And we had a Bible study every Thursday night that school was in session. And whenever he cooked, he cooked ribs, and he cooked brisket, he cooked sausage, he cooked hamburgers. I mean, he did a fine job. And it was always top quality stuff. He had one of them big fine smokers like what you got. Oh, man, he did some cooking. And I heard a guy ask him one time, he said, Doc, he said, this has got to be costing you a lot of money. He said, why, why, why don't we just do something cheap, some, some jambalaya, chili, something, something easy. He said, because every person that comes here, they may come here for a food, but they get paid spiritually. And he said, if it takes this food to get them here, he said, I'll keep cooking. It all come out of his pocket. There ain't nobody helping him out with that. He done it because of the love that was in his heart. And if it ever became all about the food, then we had a problem. But the food got them there. Brother Doug said this morning that it is a vehicle that gets them there. And that food got people to Bible study. And ultimately, ultimately believe. Get your words out. Ultimately believe that that word of God that happened in that Bible study was a blessing to a lot of people. And if they came for the food, great. But they got the word of God. There's a lot of places today that, that come for the food and come for the bouncy houses and they miss out on all the rest. They miss out on what's really important. At no point in time do we ever need to forget that we are standing on holy ground. At no point in time should we forget whenever we come together to worship God what is truly important. And that is God. That it's not about me. It's not about how good I am. It's not about the fact that I can beat everybody at cornhole. It has nothing to do with, with the zoo that's out here or the bouncy house that's out here. How good or bad anybody is in football. It has nothing to do with the cream cheese pie or the, the peach cobbler or jumble out, whatever it may be in the fellowship hall. 
It's about God. Eating is great. I love doing it. I'm really good at it, in case you can't tell. Singing is great. It's wonderful. Getting the kids up here for Bible study, for discovery on Wednesday nights. It's all wonderful. But let's not remember, let's not forget what's important. Let's not forget that in the midst of all that is fellowship among the Christians. It's fellowship among the, the people of God, the children of God. And in all of that and everything, God is to receive the honor and the glory. If we fuss and fight and argue, then God's not getting the glory out of that and we're in the wrong. If we end up leaving all our trash back here, and, and I've seen a lot of adults come through after the kids are finished playing and picking up cups off the air conditioners. And thank God for those who come behind the kids and pick up because this is holy ground. And we have ladies that come in and they, they take up, they take care of the, the sanctuary, they vacuum, they sweep, they wipe the doors down because this is a holy place. Men sign up to cut the grass and they, they take care of the grass and they, they weed it, do a great job because this is holy ground. And the day that we forget that is the day that we are in an awful lot of trouble spiritually. Do I have a verse of the song? If you have something on your heart, we'll